Hello, world. Welcome to the Mile High Five podcast. I am Carl Jensen, and I'm here with my co-host. I'm Doug Cunnington. And we have two special guests tonight. Tell us who you are and what you do. Let's start with you. My name is Sarah, and I am one half of Waffles on Wednesday. I am an occupational therapist by day and a podcaster by night. And I'm Ray, I'm the lesser half of Waffles on Wednesday, and I am in tech, and I don't know, that's about it. That All rules right. most of my life, unfortunately. We're going we're gonna to dig in pretty deep here, and just for the people that are not watching and you're listening, we're enjoying uh, some beer and IPA from Elevation, so cheers everyone, thanks for making it out, coming to the studio, really appreciate it. Now- Carl, you've known Ray and Sarah for quite some time. So when did you meet them at first? Yeah, I have them. I will not tell the story of how I I met them because it's quite embarrassing. On my part, nothing to do with them at all. But Sarah won a book in a book contest I had on the blog. So I sent her the book. And then I think you were coming to Colorado, right? I don't remember why you were coming. It might have been some work trip. Yep, it was a conference. Okay, and there happened to be a FI meetup at New Belgium up in, uh, no, it was at Odell's up in Fort Collins, and that was the first time I met you in person. What was that like for you? Did you, uh, what was it like meeting a crazy person from the internet? Well, if I remember correctly, it was, I knew that you lived in Colorado, and I was going to be in the Fort Collins area, and I was like, I think I'm just going to tweet at this guy. I, I know he likes beer. And I think he lives in Colorado somewhere. And I think, I literally think the tweet was, I like beer, let's meet up. <laughs> it does not take much. <laughs> and the rest is history. <laughs> Very good. And then what about Ray? When did you first meet Carl? I actually first met Carl at FinCon in Dallas, was it? Yeah, I think, I think so. Right. Uh, what What happened was I had posted something or we got the talking back and forth on our blogs and somehow we ended up in a weight loss competition and um and the weigh-in was at fincon and so we had never met in person but uh we had been talking trash to each other on our blogs back and forth and Actually, a really funny story is when I bought all those Italian desserts and got them sent to your house. Remember that? I, I do remember that. <laughs> what the hell is this? We did not order anything. Our teenagers ringing our doorbell and running away. But no, why, why don't you tell the story real quick? So we were actually in Chautauqua, which for those of you that know, um, is kind of the the big fi, like go for a week, kind of big boot camp fi thing. And we were there. And somehow it came up and people kept buying me beers and somehow it was like, hey, Carl told me to buy you a bunch of beers while we were down here. And so I was like, oh, you know, I'll get that guy, damn it. And so um, so I forget who it was, but somebody had your address and somebody had your uh, – and so we Googled up uh, whatever Italian joint and sent like five cannolis and a bunch of tiramisu and I forget whatever else. And I remember calling him up and saying, hey, look, deliver it to this address. It's my buddy's birthday. It's a surprise. Like – he'll be really happy about it. And so I don't think, if I remember correctly, I don't think you put two and two together until we were at FinCon. I didn't know what the hell was going on, <laughs> but I did eat all the food, which is 
says something about me like, look, cannolis from a stranger. Yeah. I, I didn't think twice about eating them all. Yeah, then I, I found out it was you later on. So yeah, so when it, we, we ended up in Dallas and uh, that we were, yeah, we were running around trying to find a scale all over the hotel. And I don't, I don't remember. Anyway, I ended up winning the we didn't end up weighing in, I don't believe. No, we did because I remember. Remember, we we went up to the uh, workout room and Brandon Ganch, Brandon the mad scientist, was drinking a beer and doing push-ups at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It, yeah. And we couldn't find a scale, so I was happy. I'm like, yes, yeah. because I knew I probably didn't win because I put zero effort into it. So I'm like, yes, we can't find a scale, and then. You were persistent, though. I think you knew you had it. In well, I had it in me because I knew – because when this started, I actually started a new job. And my new job was uh, 15 miles each way biking. And so I started it right after we started this weight loss challenge. And so I was biking 30 miles a day back and forth uh, back and forth to work right as soon as we started. And that's actually when I started eating fruit every day for breakfast. So I ended up cutting – I, we have to go back and look. I ended up cutting like 25 pounds over the course of like two months or something. Yeah. I forget. Damn. But I, can, I put it all back on. <laughs> I, I don't want to stay on this topic forever, but you know a FinCon is two months away if you want to rematch. Uh-oh. I could do that. Okay. Let's do it. You heard it here first. Uh, <laughs> and you're drinking nothing and I'm drinking beer. Good. Yeah. this I'm going to have a nice glass of water. <laughs> right. Right. Can I get you another All right. It's beer? on. It's official then. All right. So, and I just met you guys a couple weeks ago at camp five mm-hmm. which was really fun and actually we'll get into the meat of the interview here so you did a talk ray mm-hmm. and you had this great story about a very high bar tab so can you tell us about that and how it ties into you being here today yeah uh i'll clarify in that it wasn't one bar tab it was many many bar tabs <laughs> sure it was <laughs> <laughs> but um when we first started I'll back up. Um, I originally found Fi because I was looking for a way to invest a certain amount of money. It was never like I'll be frugal or any of that stuff. It was all about I had a bunch of money with an investment advisor and it wasn't matching the market and he was charging me 1% on top of everything to not match the market. So I was getting mad at him and I was looking at how to do things. I actually found Jim Collins' blog on how easy it was to invest for yourself. And so uh, when I found that, I started looking around and kind of went down the rabbit hole, right? And part of going down the rabbit hole of Phi is looking back at your expenses and kind of categorizing everything. So I pulled open our Chase credit cards at the end of the year where they have the category spending and looked and I was like, hey, Sarah, did you realize we spent $36,000 at bars last year? And um, yeah, we ended up... It turns out we ended up paying like one of the bartender's salaries at one of our one of our, our favorite watering holes, um, and it was it was pretty eye opening. Uh, and so that was that was something. And and so we made an adjustment and we started cooking at home more and going out less and you know those kind of things. Uh, but that being said, we still enjoy our beer. So right on. Okay, so that was sort of the wake up call. And what what year was that? How long ago? 2014, 2013, somewhere, somewhere in there. there. Yeah. Okay. So you figured out how to invest and Sarah, f- from your perspective, were you on board right away? Like what, what were your, what were you thinking when oh, he brought that to you? 100% jumped right on board. No, that, <laughs> that was, that was not me at all. I think when this happened, like I, 
thinking back to it, I'm kind of like, yeah, I remember this happening and I remember like laughing about it and I remember like making some changes, but I don't know, nothing really like stuck with me at that moment. It was just kind of like, yeah, we should probably cut back on going out as much and maybe eating out as much and that will help money, but that will also help kind of health wise as well. And the really kind of like defining moment for me entering into this like thigh journey was I love to travel. Like travel is my jam. This past year and a half has been really, really hard because we haven't been able to travel. And I'd always had this dream of being able to travel kind of whenever I wanted, wherever I wanted and not having the time constraints of having, you know, vacation time, coming back to a job, anything like that. And so for months, six months, eight months, maybe a year, maybe even longer, like Ray would send me blog articles and it would, you know, it would be about five topics. And I'd kind of like glance at it and just brush it aside. Like, yeah, not interested. And then finally he sent me an article from Millennial Revolution and they are all about traveling. And up until the pandemic, they were traveling full time. And I don't remember specifically what article it was, but I read that article and I was like, if whatever you're talking about, whatever this crazy talk is, if I can do what they're doing, I'm all on board. And so that was kind of that moment that I'm like, sign me up. I'm, I'm here. I, I get it. Or at least I'm, I'm going to attempt to try to understand more and more about this. Okay. So I have a question directed to you, Sarah, but Ray, you could chime in too after Sarah answers. If you met a couple, if you told someone about Phi and they were like you, one person immediately accepted it and wanted to embrace that lifestyle, save money and all that. And the other person did not. What would you tell the other person to convince them? I think you have to find your why and really what it is that you want from from your life and, and from this journey, right? It, it's all one and the same to me. And until you can figure out exactly what you want to do with your time during your FI journey, you know, at the end, once you kind of hit your FI number and into retirement and all of that, like you need to know what it is that you want to do. So you have a reason to make these changes, to say no to things that you potentially really want to be doing or make some difficult decisions that if you're not kind of on this FI journey, you might say yes to everything. So for me, it was travel. For other people, it could be any number of things. And I think it really is just honing in on that important part of what is it that you want and, and what brings you value that becoming Phi or aiming to be Phi will allow you to do. Yeah, that's a great answer. Before I give Ray a chance to respond, I just want to comment. You said find your why. And I think that's wonderful because I think when most people come down to it, if you just ask them that, not in the context of financial independence, but just what is your why? And if they really knew it, they'd probably come to the conclusion that it doesn't cost a lot of money. I know you've talked about that with your travels and it hasn't broken the bank. So the why, unless you want to be like an F1 driver or something like that, your why probably isn't going to cost a lot. But on the other hand, it might be irreconcilable with a job. You might not be able to do this why. You're not going to be able to travel. You might not be able to volunteer or whatever your why is if you have a full-time job. Yeah, and that's that. I mean, that's not to say that you have to quit your job. I mean, if you're really passionate about it, you can do that, right? But I think for me, I think the whole thing is flexibility, and that is a big portion of why we did this. That doesn't necessarily mean that 
you know, we want to pack up and leave and do our, you know, and, and, and kind of kiss the modern world goodbye and go live in a box and do all this stuff. But it is to say that we want the, uh, the opportunity to go kind of do what we want to do and not be beholden to somebody else's schedule or somebody else's priorities. And I think that's a big thing. And I think Sarah really latched on to the travel piece of it. But for me, it was more of like, I'm not, you know, as I went down the, the you know, I kind of read more and more, it wasn't so much the, um, you know, I, I, I just, it wasn't so much quitting my job as much as it was um, giving myself a chance to have more opportunities and not have to do this. I don't know if that makes sense. Like make it optional if, if that's the, if that's a way of putting it, I guess. That makes total sense. Yeah. When it comes to flexibility, which you said, and that's a theme that we've heard before. And I mean, I was telling you guys earlier today, I, I took a nap because I was just a little tired. And that's the kind of flexibility that I didn't have with my corporate job. <laughs> Naps are great. <laughs> They yeah. sure are. <laughs> yeah, I, feel I wish we could have more of them. <laughs> but I think, like, I, I think the interesting part about this is I actually love my job. I love what I do, and I'm going to continue working until who knows when. Like, I might not be working full time. I I'm kind of on this modified maternity leave right now, so I'm not. I guess I'm not technically seeing clients, but I'm still working all the time and I'm working on my business and I'm doing all these types of things. So it's interesting that like I wanted to have this like freedom and flexibility to be able to travel, but I'm also somebody who really loves their job and I'm not going to just quit. Right. Like it's, it's a huge part of who I am too. So I kind of like, I don't know, I kind of walk on both sides here where it's like, I really love what I do, but I also love having time to be able to do other things as well. Well, I think one of the things that is really interesting about what Sarah does is that she actually pays to do her job, right? Because we volunteer and we actually have to pay our way to go volunteer places. And so, but she does it and goes, does and does what she does professionally for free, but we actually have to pay our way to go do these things. So that tells you right there that she's passionate about what she's doing. Like I would never do that. There is no way I would do that. Right. So, um, but I will travel with her and support her because she, she's super passionate about what she does and, and loves it. And it makes a huge difference in the world and that, that kind of thing. But, um, but yeah, so I think there's something to be said about that. So around 2014, your eyes were opened. You started making some changes. Eventually, Sarah, you got on board. So what was the path after that? So what, what happened after Sarah got on board? Was there a timeline or were there timelines created? Were you thinking, hey, we, we need to quit soon? So what, what happened? So we were, I guess we're in a little bit of an anomaly in some of the FI space. Um, we never built strict budgets. I mean, we we stopped going to the bar, but it was never like, okay, you can only spend a hundred dollars to go out to eat. Right. Like there's certain things we, we did cut back quite a bit at the beginning, but we soon realized that budgeting just wasn't for us. We just need to be cognizant of where we're spending our money. The other thing is, is we never really like put in stone. Like I need to have X dollars. Right. Um, we just wanted to get to a point where we felt comfortable and just kind of looked at the expenses and knew what was coming in and going out. And we're comfortable with that. And that's when we actually pulled the plug a year or two ago and, and did our, or was it two years now? Uh, and did our sabbatical um, that we'll get into in a little bit. But 
So, but that being said, when we started looking at it, we started looking at what we really value and what we're willing to give up. And so at the time we were living on the beach in Los Angeles, you know, we could watch the sunset over the pier from our couch. Um, You know, obviously we were going out to eat and drink like five days a week. I mean, that we were just doing a lot of things like that. And so one of the first things we did is we moved back a little bit further from the beach into a little bit smaller and cheaper of a place. We obviously started cooking at home a little bit more. What else did we kind of cut back on at the beginning? I mean, there weren't that many, like we didn't have fancy new cars. We hadn't bought a house. Like, so a lot of, I guess our biggest expense really was the bar and the the going out and the, the eating, you know, all of that, like that was our big expense. Everything else, like, we were actually pretty like frugal-ish about, yeah. and we had had our cars for a while. And yeah, I mean, it, it like the weird part about I think why we took to Fi so easily is because it wasn't an abrupt change for us. The, other than the one glaring I- issue, um, I, I won a car on the Price Is Right, and I actually sold it back to the dealership and kept my ten-year-old car. Right, like because I liked my car. Like, That's just the way it was. Um, like. I will say one thing that we did change when I first found Fi. I I was never really one to like max out my 401k. I was always like, you know, get the match. I would always max out the match, but I was like, you know what? Ramp the thing up. And then uh, when Sarah started her company, the first thing I did was start a solo 401k and max that out. Right. So that changed, but that was never something that we really had to scrimp and do. It was just something like it went into the 401k as opposed to into the savings account, right? Like, so it was just something that I was never really cognizant of. And so that that's where we made some of those changes. Got it. And well, there's, there's a couple there. Tell us about the prices, right? really quick. <laughs> Cause like we have to ask, you just like, Oh, yeah. just won this car. Well, so I, I went on the prices, right. Ended up getting selected, got down. Um, I don't, whoever's familiar with the prices, right. Uh, you go down, you bid on a, like they, they put out a thing and you bid on it. Well, I ended up guessing it dead on the nose and um, won $500 for that. Won the It was a 42-inch television that I won. Got up on stage, did the spelling bee where you got to kind of pick cards and then you got to uh, tell if the price is within a certain range of, the, of these things. And I ended up winning a measuring cup. And then, um, and then I ended up spelling out car and won a Toyota Corolla. Um, and yeah, and then I got in a fight with the IRS, and so we're just gonna go down this rabbit hole. <laughs> anyway, uh, apparently, well, so not apparently. When you win a, on a game show, you get a ten ninety nine from the produce, production company for the full MSRP of what you won, um, regardless of what you do with it. There is a part in the tax code that says you are allowed to write uh, mark it down to the actual market value of what you won. Uh, and so the MSRP of what I won was like $21,000, but I sold the car for $15,000. So on my 1040, I put in $15,000. Uh, CBS sent them the 1099 that said $21,000. The IRS came back to me and said, hey, you owe us tax on this other $7,000. I went in and fought with them in the IRS building. And yeah, and they said, no, 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 you're right. So that that was that's kind of the way that went. Okay. That's a good tax tip for any game show <laughs> winners out there. You may have to fight it, but... Yeah, I mean, I would not want to win a 
trip or anything like yeah. that. Like at least the car had some tangible value that I could sell. Uh, some of the other stuff I wouldn't want to win yeah. unless you're actually going to take it. But even then you're paying your full income tax rate on the MSRP of everything. Right. So I've got one follow-up question. Did you get to spin that huge wheel that you grab mm-hmm. the things and pull it on? Was it? So sometimes you're watching that shit because you're homesick from school and some old lady comes on there, or some old man, and they can't get the thing around. Is oh, it, it's it's jankety. It oh, it's really? awful. Okay. Yeah, it's like all rusted shut. First, I don't know if you guys have ever been there, but you've have you been to The Price is Right? Yeah. We went to Let's Make a Deal. Yeah, I've been to a couple different yeah. game shows, but not the Well, I, and I can't be on another game show for 10 years because I won, which is hilarious. Because they don't want people making a career of it. It's got to be close. It's got to be close. Yeah. Yeah. But, but anyway, um, the, the stage is like this little – I mean, it looks like a high school auditorium. And they, like when you watch it, they actually wheel in the things. Uh, and so it's all the same stages, wheel them in and out. And yeah, it's it's pretty funny. It's But that wheel is like all rusted and jankety. And yeah, and it's really, really hard to spin. So wow, <laughs> so, about that. Anyway. I used to love prices, right? Okay, so maybe back on track. <laughs> we um, we we heard that budgets weren't really your thing, which is cool. They're not really my thing either. Um, but you also mentioned the solo four hundred one k. So you, you have your own company, so you're able to set that up. And then for the people that don't know, it's great because. You can do your own contribution, but then you can give the company contribution Mm -hmm. up to 25% of the salary that you pay yourself. So that turns out that instead of like 19.5, you can contribute, say your salary is 80K, you can put in like Mm 34.5, right? So an an extra, it's amazing. And then, well, I won't ask too many questions. Don't want to get you guys in trouble with IRS. No, go ahead. What's up? So are are you on? Yes. So uh, as part of a well, so this is way back before she had employees. Now we have a, like an official big boy four hundred one k. But a solo four hundred one k is for the owner and a spouse, and that's perfectly legal. And mm-hmm. so um, once you have once you have another employee outside of the immediate family, you can no longer do a solo four hundred one k. And so a four and like you said, it's uh, your personal contribution, which is nineteen five as of the recording of this, and then you can match twenty five percent of the salary that is paid to the employee. So, you know, if so, if you make a hundred grand, you can take twenty five and put it on top of that nineteen five, up to fifty three thousand dollars. So when we did that, when she started, her company wasn't making enough for us to do that uh, to max it out fully, but. What we ended up doing is setting it up through so that we could do like the mega backdoor Roth thing. Okay. And we did that. And we have some blog posts on how we manage that and all the compliance testing that goes along with it and why we stopped doing it actually because it was such a pain in the ass. It wasn't worth the paperwork and everything else that went along with it um, to do it. But yeah, so, so we were doing that for her company. Okay. Got it. Yeah. A solo 401k is a great thing. I had, uh, I always had the option to go to work on a contract basis and I always resisted it in favor of W2 and I realized how big of a mistake how much more money I could have been putting away because it was yeah, you said the 54 or 55 it's mm-hmm. crazy it's yeah. a crazy good deal do you have yours through or did you have yours through Vanguard or how did you set yours up the original solo was through Fidelity I believe this is long ago I mean this is five or six years ago it was originally through Fi- yeah it was through Fidelity and the reason why 
is at that time, I don't know if it's still the case, but Vanguard would not let you invest in Admiral funds in their solo 401k. Yep. So you had to- still the case. That's still the case. But now all their funds are the same expense ratio, so it doesn't matter. Um, But then you could only do the high expense ratio and Vanguard would not let you roll in of IRA into your 401k. Fidelity would. And the reason why you would do that is if you have a bunch of money in a traditional IRA- you can't do a backdoor Roth because you end up hitting yourself with the pro, pro rata tax rule. I don't, we don't need to get into the details of that. Google pro rata tax rule on IRA if you want to look into it. But the fact of the matter is – Do it in the show notes. <laughs> <laughs> the fact of the matter is, is that if you have money in a traditional IRA, you incur a bunch of tax if you do a backdoor Roth. Fidelity allows you to take a traditional IRA and move it into a 401k. So that tax, the pro rata tax rule only applies to what's in a traditional IRA. A, a 401k is not included in that. So as long as you move the money into a 401k, you can do the backdoor Roth all day. Okay. And so that that's why we ended up going with Fidelity as opposed to Vanguard. Okay. So Carl, do you have anything else on the 401k front or anything else to add? No, I think I'm good. Okay. So at some point you guys decided we're going to take a little break. So Sarah, how did that come about? I imagine you were thinking, hey, we can start traveling and stuff like that. So yeah, tell us about that. It had been something that we had been talking about for years. And it was like, we're going to take a couple months off or six months, a year. Like, I don't think we ever quite knew exactly how long we were going to take, but we always had this idea that we were going to take more than two weeks time off. And... Another year would pass and we wouldn't do it. Another year would pass and we wouldn't do it. And then finally, in 2018, I'm going to back up even before before the actual time it happened, our lease came up on our place. And we were on our way to celebrate our five-year wedding anniversary in Belize. And we get a message from our landlord basically like, hey, are you guys signing on for another year? If not, you got to be out by Monday. And we were like well, crap, like we can't be out. And so we were basically forced into staying there another year, even though we were kind of hoping in that, that time frame, that year time frame, we would actually be taking off. So that was 2018. And then we get home and we're like, all right, we either need to stop talking about taking this time off or we need to do something about it. And so we're like, we got another year in this place, but come the end of our lease in 2019, we're, we're, we're either moving somewhere else or we're taking this time. And so I I think pretty much that whole year, we were kind of just gearing ourselves up to how we're going to make this work. What are we going to do? Where are we going to go? For me, I started to kind of like dwindle my caseload a little bit. So I wasn't taking on new clients and I was just slowly, my, my, my kiddos would kind of age out of the services that they would need. And it came down to, you know, Ray quitting his job And so that would have been, now we're in 2019 and we took off in August, right? Mm -hmm. It was right after podcast movement Mm -hmm. and ended up taking five to six months off. And it was the best thing that we could have done. And also now looking back because of COVID and everything, we literally got back from that sabbatical or that trip in the end of January of 2020. Oh, wow. Were you nervous leading up to it? That's a great question. I don't, I actually don't think I was. 
I think I was excited because this really was one of the big things that I had been investing my time and energy into doing at some point, you know, in, in this journey and in my life. So I don't think that I was nervous. <laughs> I'm going to put a little more thought into that, see if anything, any other feelings come up, but no, okay. not, not nervous. All right. So she telling the truth. Is that what, is that what happened? <laughs> now what, what, what's your side? No, I mean, that, that's, that's how it happened. Uh, yeah. Our landlord would only let us sign a year lease. They wouldn't let us go month to month. And so, yeah, when we said, no, we won't sign a year lease. They were like, okay, well then you have to be out by the end of the month. And that was like May 10th, I think. And then we had to be out by May 31st. And so we had to find a place that was, that was stressful. Um, we ended up finding a month to month place right down the street, put a bunch of stuff in storage. And then I put in my notice and, and yeah. And then in August we took off and we took a month and drove across the country. We left LA and drove to the East coast. We took a month and visited friends and family along the way. And then we went to Europe for the max amount of time that an American citizen go to Europe. So we were there for 90 days, and then we came back in the middle of December and spent two weeks with my family on the East Coast in, in, uh, for the holidays, and then took another month and drove back to Los Angeles. And at that point, uh, again, remember, this is, this is kind of funny. Uh, it's the end of January 2020, and our plan was for her to go uh, – we were going to stay in L.A. for a couple months and see friends and family, and then she was going to go volunteer in South America, and we were going to spend – from May all the way through the rest of 2020 in South America. That was the original plan. Um, and so, as we all know, that kind of didn't happen. <laughs> but, uh, but that was the original plan is to come back and, and go to South America for eight months or so. Like leave – I was coaching lacrosse at the time. And so, we wanted to stick around in LA for the lacrosse season. And then um, – and then we were going to leave in the beginning of May and head to South America and then be there for the rest of the year. That was the original plan. And before we dive into some of the travel, were you nervous to quit? I wasn't nervous to leave my job. I was nervous. It was a weird thing, right? And I mean, it's stupid looking back on it. But when you put in notice at a company, there's like kind of two ways it can go. They can either be like, hey, awesome. Or they can be like, Good. Get the fuck out. Right. right. And so, um, and so I didn't know what to do because I, at that point I was the only person doing my job at this company and I really liked the company. I didn't want to kind of like show up on Friday and be like, Hey, guess what? It's my last day. Peace. I'm out. Right. And so, but I also didn't want to have it be, well, because also we had right before I was leaving, right before we were leaving, we did rag bry. And so that, which it's a bike ride across Iowa, but um, it's like a week. And so I had this like week vacation planned to come back and work another week to leave. So like, I didn't know if they were going to just be like, yeah, don't worry, like, get out of here. Don't worry about it or what. And it was funny because I went in and gave my notice and my boss was like, well, where are you going? And I was like, uh, Europe. And she was like, okay, good. You're not leaving for another job. Like, there's no way we're going to keep you then. And I was like. Oh, well, that one. And she was like, I was like, well, you know, I can, she's like, no, don't worry about it. Whenever you're done, done. And that was, that was it. So it was like so anticlimactic. Um, but uh, yeah, as far as nervous on the trip, not really. I mean, we had saved and we were looking into it and, and we had, we had plenty of money. I don't know that we would have been 
FI for good, but we definitely had plenty of money to for years, you know, for, for a decade or so to like go about our business and do what we wanted and, and make adjustments if we had to. So I wasn't overly nervous in that. I will say it was a little hard to unwind. Okay. Yeah, I was going to say, tell, tell us about that because I was say, dig into that. This is very. This is, I think this is really interesting. Well, I know. Just if you're going on vacation, it takes a few days to just decompress. So I can't imagine you're trying to go from working really hard for many years mm-hmm. and then just turn it off. You're like, yeah, we're just on permanent vacation now. So yeah, how'd you deal with that? Let me let me jump in first. Yeah. Because for me, because I run my own practice, I run my own company, and I've kind of lived the entrepreneur lifestyle for a while, this was easy. I go places, I work, and I have fun all at the same time. I was very good at kind of adjusting my schedule to work when I needed to and then play when I could. So for me, this was no different because I was still going to be running my company. And so I took to it very, very, very easily, but it became very apparent that it was much harder for him to separate and kind of move past his working life. And we definitely got into it a couple of times yeah. when we were traveling. Yeah. I think it was being a bit rudderless and like not having to be somewhere any gay. And so I kept trying to put structure back into our days and she wasn't really having it. And like I needed structure, I needed things to do. What? <laughs> what? <laughs> what was the what was the problem? No, but I mean the other thing is, is I sat around and did nothing for a long time. I was trying to put the structure in. You did not want the structure. You wanted to sleep until ten a.m. Well, yeah. I, I mean, for a while there. Well, but I remember in in Helsinki, it was like we got to do something. We got to do. We got to get out of here. We got to get out of here. I got to go do something. That happened, but that was about two. So it was this weird transition where like. When I first stopped working, I wanted to do nothing. I wanted to lay around and lay on my phone and do nothing and watch TV and do nothing, right? Like just nothing. Didn't want to do anything. And then after about a month and a half or so, I started getting antsy and I needed to do stuff. And then, of course, she's like regulated. So she's like, yeah, I'm cool. I'm just going to work. I'm like, we got to get out of the apartment. We got to get out of the apartment, right? Like, we got to go do something. We got to do something. She's like, why? Just relax, you know? Like, we'll go do something later. And so, like, it went from me having to work all day to me just laying around doing nothing to me, like, becoming really antsy and needing to do stuff again. So I, like, went through these cycles. Um, and, it, and yeah, and it, it, took a, it took a – I mean, it took most of the trip, I think. To, to kind of go through. Oh, if the, if, if, if it, it even yeah by if, the end of that yeah it was if, for me it was so interesting to watch him like detox from working and first like not wanting to do a damn thing to then like being anxious that he's not doing enough and like like he said like it was this like it was like cyclic cyclical where it was like nothing everything nothing everything and it was really hard for him to just just be mellow and like relax and enjoy it. Yeah. Helsinki was the turning point, but I don't, (laughs) I don't even think I'm trying. Yeah. I feel like even when we got back, you were still struggling. Yeah. I mean, I think it takes, well, Carl, you can answer that. How long does it take you to like unwind? It's got, it's got to be longer than three or four months. Yeah. I don't, I don't think I'm still there yet. April 2017 (laughs) was my day. (laughs) 
Yeah. So the question I have for you, Ray, I guess, is uh, you've got this high-powered, fancy career. Did you ever wake up in the middle of the night yelling SQL statements? No, that that wasn't actually my question. Although if you did that, I'd be curious to know. How, how do you just turn that off? Because I think we all need some kind of core activity or something. Or maybe we don't. Maybe some people can't just sit there and do nothing all day and be happy. But I would go absolutely out of my mind. Like people... We say, ah, oh, we're going to go on a beach vacation. Well, what are you going to do there? Ah, oh, we're just going to lay on the beach all day. Like, that sounds like absolute torture to me. Are you the same or? Um, I think I could last. Well, I lasted about three, four weeks of just kind of laying around and doing nothing. Right. And just kind of hanging out and doing whatever. I do need something to work on. I So I have done some projects for her company that I continue to work on. Um, so I do write some code for her company and do those kind of things. Uh, and so that gives me something to work on. I also do a lot of the financial stuff for her company. So that gives me a little something to work on um, and a little bit like something to sink my teeth into and stuff like that when I need to. But yeah, I mean, it is, it's hard. And I mean, you know, I, I, I would, I don't know that I wake up and yell SQL statements, but I would definitely like think about things and think about how to do problems and stuff like that. And when I work on the software package for her company, I, you know, I'd, get up at three in the morning and go down and do something and then come back and go to bed and that kind of thing. And it still happens. I mean, you know, I don't know that the six months we took off is enough time to unwind. I, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't think I ever got there. Yeah. That's, it's tough. How do you fill the day? <clears throat> so I have a question for Sarah. Did this, so you said your why was travel. Did it fulfill your expectations more or less? Was it what you thought it would be? Another really good question. <laughs> I think this was like another kind of point of contention between the two of us because it's it is hard to navigate being somewhere and even though we had we were fortunate enough and we had the the luxury that we were traveling for five six months ish we were spending a week to two weeks in places it still wasn't enough time because you're only there for a week and so you still wanted to get out and you still wanted to see everything and so it was really hard to navigate spending time on things that I wanted to do, like work-related stuff, podcast-related stuff, and all of that. (laughs) And then being able to go out and and see and do everything that we wanted to. So while I feel like I did a pretty good job, it was still hard for me to manage all of that. And it sounds so silly that it's like we were there for a week because most people, when they go travel, they're going for a day, they're going for three days, and then they're moving on someplace else. So... In a sense, I think it was a good, it was kind of a good dip in the water for me to understand what it really was like to kind of slow travel, but I would even like to go a little bit longer and just go to one place for three months, you know, and you're, maybe you pop around like neighboring cities, but we're not bouncing around to, I don't know, 10 to 15 different European cities that are all in different countries. So it pinpointed (laughs) we have a baby here in the background (laughs) spoiler alert (laughs) (laughs) he noticed the weird sound it's definitely coming from her I thought it was Carl's stomach this (laughs) usually we normally edit this out but if it was that there would be a very bad smell (laughs) (laughs) there might be over there too that's besides the point Here's a quick word from our sponsor, thanks to the Economy Conference. The Economy Conference, and that's spelled E-C-O-N-O-M-E. 
I'm not good at spelling out loud, so just bear with me. Well, it has roots in the FIRE movement. It's going to be awesome this year. Carl's actually going to be speaking, so that'll be pretty fun. And you may wonder, why attend an event about financial freedom when you can educate yourself online or listen to podcasts like this one? Well, community matters very much, and when you decide to take an unconventional path, you may need a little support. Economy gives you the opportunity to surround yourself with an engaged community of people who are doing incredible things with their finances. Whether you're well on your way to financial independence or still struggling with debt, or maybe you're a student and you're about to launch your career, Economy is a great place to uh, meet other people and get more involved in the FIRE community. And actually, we talked to Diana Merriam back in episode 14. Now, I haven't personally met her yet, not in person, and I thought we were actually going to meet at Camp Phi, but she had some travel issues and she actually did her presentation remotely, which was pretty amazing. There were no technical issues and she did a great job. So I'm looking forward to checking out Economy in November. I recently got my ticket, so I'm looking forward to attending, checking out Cincinnati. I've only been to the airport, and I'm really looking forward to getting some of that weird spaghetti chili concoction from whatever restaurant it is, but it'll be awesome. Hopefully, we'll see you there. Back to the show. So it sounds like you need to have even slower travel. Three weeks, you need like three months, super slow travel. It sounds like... That's half the fun trying to figure out your balance, right? Like, uh, we're going to go here and here, and you're trying to do your work and balance it out. But yeah, I don't know. Next well, time you go, you'll do it a little bit different. No, no I was going to say, I think that, I think we mentioned earlier that we were going to go to South America, and that's the way we were going to do it. Like, we learned our lessons from doing this trip, and we were going to go there and spend like two months in Santiago, right? And like, then go volunteer for two weeks and then go spend a month in. I don't know, Buenos Aires, right? And that's what we were going to do is do it like months at a time. Um, but obviously that didn't happen. So mm-hmm. I think the big thing is the routine. And this is why I kind of laughed when he said I needed the structure. And I was like, no, he needed something to do. He didn't want the structure for me. I thrive on my routine. So like the first, maybe the first like week or two that we were traveling, it was really hard to establish a routine. But once we kind of gotten like, just kind of figured it out a little bit and gotten comfortable, I was trying to wake up at the same time. I was trying to work out every morning. I was trying to sit down and do a couple hours of work. Like I tried to like bake in some of these things to help me feel a little bit more kind of regulated and and feel like I'm contributing to something rather than just waking up and, and going, seeing the sights and going out for drinks and eating our faces off and then coming home and rinse and repeat and doing it the next day. And in the initial part of our travels that because I didn't have, I hadn't realized the importance of the routines. That was really, really hard for me to kind of overcome. But once I, once I was able to get there, I was like, this is perfect. Like if I can do X, Y, and Z, and then some mornings I wasn't able to do everything, but I knew that's what I needed. And I think that's where we kind of realized moving forward. One week is still not enough time to be able to kind of embed that. Mm -hmm. You have a, a thing that helps you bake in routines every day now. (laughs) And just on the point of, uh, slow travel, we did a lot of, uh, traveling domestically and we would spend about a month in cities and that was pretty good. We would always bring our dog, our, our now deceased dog, but that like forces you to like go on the walks. You have to do your 
normal stuff most of the time. And then we did about three months in Montana, of course, big state, but we like sort of moved around, but yeah, we really, we figured that out too. Like we don't want to be too rushed on vacation where you're trying to do everything you can. And then you end up kind of stressed out from the yeah. whole situation. Yeah. And we, we, it took us a while to learn that, um, through all the traveling that we did. So. And you guys are maybe bigger beer fans than, than me. <laughs> so you, can you just maybe share three or four breweries or trips or something beer related from the travels, domestic or international, whatever? Hmm. Uh, interesting. Interesting question. Best, best brewery. So I'll, I'll give you, I'll, I don't know that we, there's like multiple categories that you can go into on this, but I'll give you two stories. One, we were in Cape Town, South Africa. Uh, Sarah, for whatever reason, has this nose to find fun breweries. And so we end up in this place called Drifter. It turns out that the bartender is from Portland. And so we start chatting with her and she is married or in a long-term relationship with the owner of the place. And so we get talking to him and his name is Nick. And so we're there and they're telling us about Cape town and all this stuff. And he goes, Hey, you know, and then as it happens, you know, the night goes on and on and on and he's pouring us drinks straight out of the big tins and Hey, you need to try this beer. And this is a beer that we uh, do the last fermentation on the bottom of the ocean. And so they like put it in crates and they go and sink it. And then he goes out and scuba dives and brings it up. And so all the bottles have like barnacles on them and like, <laughs> like starfish and stuff baked, caked on them. And so it's pretty cool. But anyway, um, he, uh, so we're talking to him. He's like, Hey, you know what? Here's my phone number. If you need anything at Cape town, let me know. And so we're like, cool. Thanks. All right. So we go about our day. And then the next day I get a text from him and he's like, Hey, you want to go out on the boat? And so it turns out he named drifter brewery after drifter the sailboat that his father built and sailed around the world three times in the 70s and nick had found it in tanzania and bought it and brought it back and was refurbishing it and it was in the royal cape town yacht club and so the next day he took sarah and i out on the yacht and like we were cruising around in the cape town harbor with all these <laughs> south africans and like it was it was such an awesome story so anyway and then it turns out that they were like doing a crowdfunding to expand their brewery so we ended up investing in the brewery and so like so that that's a fun one so we end up owning part of this drifter brewery in south africa uh which is a great brewery if you're ever in cape town make sure you go to drifter and then uh the other fun one that i was going to say is we were driving on our trip. We were actually, so we have a rule that we're not officially in a state unless we stop at a local brewery or stay the night. So one or the other. And so we were in the upper peninsula of Michigan and I forget the name of the brewery, but we happened in there and they were doing a, they were doing the award ceremony for their home brewing competition where the, they take all the local home brewers and they have a tasting competition and the winner of the home brewing competition gets a keg on tap at the brewery for as long as the keg lasts. And so it was really cool to be there. And it was a super local place. And the guy was there telling us all about the beer and all these things. And it was, it was funky. It was like, remember that was like V8. Remember that? It was like all sorts of vegetables. It was like bright red. (laughs) It was good. It sounds, yeah, it was good. It was just really funky. Yeah, but it was, it was good. It was just, it was kind of funny. But yeah, it was just cool to like happen in there. 
Uh, and so that those are two that stick out in my mind. I don't know, Sarah, do you have a... I do. I, I, have, I think this is probably my famous story of we had just gotten to... Oh, I was going to say it was Portugal. It wasn't. It was when we were in Brussels. Yeah. And we went to the Brussels Beer Project, right? Mm-hmm. And we're sitting there. And I like I for, I always look at like stickers on the wall, and I look at what T-shirts the bartenders are wearing, and all this kind of stuff. And this girl at the back of the bar was wearing this shirt, and it had this like giant sardine on it. So of course it caught my attention, and so I like walked over, and I was like trying to not awkwardly stare, but I really wanted to see what it was. And it was a brewery, and it was called the Mean Sardine, and it was in Portugal. And Brussels was at the beginning of our trip. And we knew that we were going to Portugal because we had been there before. We loved it. And I like I remember like running back to the table and like telling Ram, like, we're going to find this brewery. Like, I'm gonna look it up right now. Like, we're gonna find it. Well, it ended up being like a complete wild goose chase trying to find this brewery. <laughs> and we had I mean, we had weeks planning up to it. We thought we had narrowed down where it was. We had actually like rented a car so we could drive to this like tiny town to go to this brewery. And we could not find it. We were going everywhere that we possibly could and stopping in like these little tiny towns and like asking people like, we're, we're looking for the mean sardine. And they're like, we have no idea what you're talking about. Like, it says, it says it's right here. And they're like, uh, maybe you can try like the beer store on the corner. They might sell it. And we're like, that's how we want. We want like, we want the actual like brick and mortar brewery. That that's, that's our jam. And we actually had two friends with us, too. So not only am I dragging my husband through, I mean, the backwoods of Portugal, we also have our two friends from Los Angeles that had flown out. And I'm just sitting there and I'm like, I feel so bad. Like, (laughs) we are going every which way and we can't find this brewery. And we don't actually think they had a tasting room. We think that they either did kind of like... um, what's it called when you like rent the taps of of a local brewery or something like that or maybe they used to have it and now they just distribute but but what we could tell unless somebody's listening and they know where the mean sardine is in portugal but my redeeming factor of this whole story is it was at the end of the time with our friends we were actually in lisbon we stumbled upon this amazing beer bar and they had beer from the mean sardine <laughs> and the really fun beer that they had was called the ginger ninja and it's like a it was a stout or i think it was a stout mm-hmm. made with ginger which is like a local portuguese uh liqueur and so at least we got to try the beer from the brewery even though we didn't actually find the brewery <laughs> Was, was the beer any good? Or hopefully it wasn't brewed with sardines. That doesn't sound No, so it did not have sardines. Uh, but and, yes. Yeah, it it's actually, very good. It it's really, really good. good. Yeah, they, they have really good beer. And I think there like a couple other styles that we tried mm-hmm. to. Yeah, they make very good beer. I think they're one of those like called phantom brewers, right? Where yeah. they brew in other people's, they use other people's equipment. Gotcha. How many countries have you guys been to? Oh, God. Uh... I guess we could tally them up. Uh, uh, So Cambodia, India, China. I've been to Australia. You haven't been to Australia. Iceland. Iceland. So then Canada, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, U.S., obviously Mexico, Ecuador, Peru. You've been to Honduras, Belize, because we got married in Belize. Mm -hmm. 
Um, the couple in the Caribbean here and there on cruises and that. Then Iceland. Cuba. Cuba. Portugal. Spain. France. England. Ireland. Scotland. Scotland. Germany. France. Belgium. Netherlands. Uh, you've been to Switzerland. I've never been to Switzerland. Italy. Czech. Austria. No, we didn't. Yeah, yeah we did we stay did in Austria. Austria. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Finland. Finland. Estonia. Estonia. I think that's it. I hope somebody that's was right. counting. <laughs> yeah. I, oh, South Africa. Yeah. Morocco. Morocco. Any others? I can't think. I, I can't think anymore. That's, that's pretty close. That's it's about the 30 I was keeping. <laughs> tell. Did you go to the brewery in Cuba? Because I, I was there too. And we actually did go to the brewery there. Did we you didn't. We were it? only there for like eight hours, unfortunately, because okay. it was just a pit stop on a cruise. Okay. Yeah. Uh, did we? No, we did. Didn't we? Did we? We went We went to something because we ended up drinking with Leaf and Race. A bunch of places. Yeah, Where was it? Was it? It wasn't no. a brewery? Okay. We went to... We went to, oh my gosh, what's the well-known restaurant in Cuba? Um, Sloppy Joe's? No. Oh, we did go to Sloppy Joe's. Was it Sloppy Joe's? Oh, that, that was that hotel. No, that you're, thinking hotel. Of, you're thinking of Ernest Hemingway's haunt. It, yeah, but there's one in Cuba and one in, in Key exact, West. Exactly. I can't remember what the one in Cuba is called. Sloppy Joe's is the Key West one. <laughs> okay. Yeah. No, I thought, anyway. Yeah. But yeah, so we were there. I, we did not get to go to a brewery there. I wish we would have, but we didn't get a chance to. Most other places we have been to at yeah, least one most, brewery. Yeah, most. Yeah. I detect a common theme in your life. I'm not quite sure what it is, but it'll come to me if I think about it. Maybe I'll have another beer and then it'll come to me. <laughs> and let's see. So we talked um, some more about travel. We're, I guess I don't have a, a solid question, but I'll direct it at you, Sarah. Travel is sort of your passion. So what is it about traveling to new places or maybe places that you've been um, actually I'll ask that too. Like, do you like to only go to new places or do you like to go back to where you've been? And what is it about travel that like really gets you out of bed in the morning? I think the answer is both. Like I love exploring brand new places, but then I fall in love with those places and I want to go back. And uh, there's something just familiar about going back to a place, even if it's been a year or two, but going back and like, for instance, Ecuador has uh, a special place in my heart. I've, I've gone to, I've gone there twice. I've done volunteer work there. And there was this amazing coffee shop in the town of Ibarra where I volunteer. And it was a place that I would go every day. I'd get a cup of coffee. They would make these amazing brownies. And there was just something so special about doing that. And every time that I I go or I think about going, I get excited. Now the coffee shop is no longer there anymore, but it was something that was like truly special to like know to go back and the people would remember you and recognize you. So yeah, it, it's, I love new places and I love returning to some of the places, not all the places that I've been, but I think to answer the second part of your question, I think it just... It, it, it really just ties into kind of being a lifelong learner, I think, for me and just getting exposed to as much as I possibly can, whether it's different, different languages, different culture, different religions, different foods, different dress, different jobs, diff just different ways of life that we just don't see in the U.S., especially if you 
tend to stay in your, you know, your own state or your own city. And it really just kind of proves what a small place in this world you actually take up. And I think every single day that I'm traveling, I become a better person or I learn something that I didn't know before, or I develop kind of a different perspective that I didn't have before. So I think it's this like constant quest for knowledge and learning and insight and just as much as I possibly can of getting outside of really what I know. And that is what makes travel so special to me. I think it's one of the, I don't know where I heard it, but once upon a time I heard the, the quote, uh, travel is the only thing you can spend money on that makes you, makes you richer. Right. Um, the experiences, you know, it, it it's eye opening when you come back from some of these places, and it just gives you a whole new perspective. and And it, I feel like it makes us appreciate the things that we have more, or our home more, and things like that. And so I think it's a, it's a, I think that's a big part of it. Cool, Ray. Uh, so Sarah just made this beautiful statement. I was thinking what your answer would be. Are, are you just in it for the beer? Um. Yeah. <laughs> no. Uh, I mean, th- th- that helps. I mean, th- what, what, I mean, uh, we come off like we should go to meetings every week, but, um, but I mean, part of it is that for better or worse, what we found is that breweries, like especially microbreweries, no matter where you are on the planet, the people that run them are very passionate about them and they're all passionate about the same thing. And they love to talk about it and they love to talk about their stuff. They also happen to be in odd parts of town, not like the main tourist traction and the main part of town. And if you go on like a Wednesday afternoon or something, they tend to be fairly empty. And they also have a local that is locked in that has to talk to you. I mean, they don't have to talk to you, but like. They're there and they're not doing anything else. So as long as you're friendly and chat them up, they'll point you in the direction. You'll get a lot of like interesting information. And so as much as we love enjoying, you know, a beer and having that, that's actually a big bonus of it, right? Is that like I mentioned earlier that the Drifter Brewery place, like we ended up there on four o'clock on Friday afternoon and we're like the only ones in there. We're just sitting there chit-chatting with them, right? And, And that's happened all over the place. Uh, I mean, it happened in Cambodia. It happened in, uh, where else? In we Italy. In a, we weren't in a brewery, but it happened in Lisbon. Yep. When we stumbled into this bar in Barrio Alto and ended up chit-chatting with the bartender. And we went back four years later and he remembered us. And like, I mean, it was amazing. He's pouring us shots and it like, it was just so much fun. And he's like, I remember you guys. We're like, it was four years ago. Yeah. You remember that? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was, it was fun. It's fun. And like, and, and, and so, and it gives us, but the other part about that is it gives you a perspective to get outside of the main tourist attraction in town. Right. And, and you'll go and, um, and explore. And again, you ask them and they say, Hey, you know, where should I go to dinner tonight? And they'll give you where they would go to dinner. Right. And so, you know, that's, and that's a lot of it and, and getting to know them and go back and visit them. And like she mentioned and stuff like that, it just makes it fun. And I think actually for me, that's what I enjoy about traveling. It's not going and seeing a new building or, I mean, you kind of check the boxes and take the pictures, but it's meeting the people and experiencing their culture and seeing how they are and, and chit-chatting with them and trying to speak their language and trying to 
to just connect with people. And it, it that to me makes it all worthwhile. Yeah, I think that's awesome. And I've got a, and I'm serious when I say this, I've got a new website for you, Beer on Tuesdays. And I think this could be a real thing. Like it, it would be a travel blog where you just document these breweries on your travels. So, so who you, you talk know to. we have that idea, right? Oh, okay. You have Not that one. Okay. We have it. It's called Jet Loggered. Uh, okay, so there you go. You've already. <laughs> do you have anything on it? Or is no, it no, no. We just have the URL. We were okay. talking about making it a podcast or something and talking about all our adventures and yeah. all that kind of stuff. So, and we had it jet loggered. Oh, I think it's a great idea. It's pretty good. Seriously. So, so, yeah. So, you're going to get the, the local connection. actually came up to it when we were in Brussels or Bruges, I think, sitting there and talking about that because it's pouring rain. Yeah. Yeah. So, that's awesome. That's a thought. Yeah. Yeah. So. You went on this sabbatical. It was sort of open-ended, mm-hmm. but you got back to L.A. at the mm-hmm. time, right? Mm-hmm. January 2020, things were winding down, and you, you mentioned you work in IT. So mm-hmm. you took the sabbatical. You're back at work now. So how did that come about? I was coaching. So the whole plan was to come back, coach lacrosse, which is like middle of February until early May, and then for us to take off. Um I got a call from a major a major company and they were just like, hey, we want to interview you. And I tend to get these calls periodically and I'm all for spending their money and going on a free trip and all this stuff. So I'm like, yeah, sure, I'll fly up, you know, and I'll, I'll go talk to you for a little while. And so um, that was actually – it was actually the last weekend in February I flew up and I had the interview and then in the middle of March, I get a phone call and they're like, hey, we want to offer you a job. And I was like, uh, you're not supposed to do that. <laughs> you know, and uh, and so uh, at that point, COVID was coming out. It was just kind of coming and we were just starting to hear about it and all this stuff. And things were starting to shut down. Travel was starting to shut down. Uh, all these things. and And so we had this long talk about what do we do? And I had always wanted to see what it was like to work at one of these major firms. Uh, you know, it's like one of those things when the Yankees come calling, you go try out. And if you make the team, you give it your best and see how you find, you know, see how it works. And so I, we sat down and talked about it. We're like, you know what? South America is not going anywhere. Like go try it out. And so I made, we actually made a promise that I would be there if it's my choice, I will be there a year. If they decide to kick me out at six months, that's their business. But if it's up to me, I will be there at least a year. And the reason why is because I knew three months down the road, it was going to suck, right? Like I'm going from being on my own, doing my own thing. I love coaching lacrosse. I was doing that, going right back into this corporate culture, learning everything, struggling, deadlines, stress, all this other stuff. Um, so I made a promise to be there a year and that was between her and I, that we would do at least a year. Um, and then we would go from there. So here it's been almost 18 months. So, um, is it the best in the world? No. I mean, there's other things I'd rather do with my day, but for the time being it's, it's working and it's, it's given us, you know, it's helping pad our, our numbers and all that kind of fun stuff. And so, um, and it's not as far as it goes, like with COVID and all this stuff, it's not the worst thing in the world. I mean, it lets me be home with her. Right. So, um, so yeah, so that, that's where we're at. And yeah, so that wasn't exactly planned and it wasn't like we were looking for a job. It just kind of fell on my plate, which is one of those interesting things that they say is uh, when you quit, you can kind of take your head up 
and look around and you see all these opportunities that you would have never seen before. And so that, that kind of happened. And so we took advantage of it. Interesting. So maybe financial independence and quitting your job led you to another job. But it's all good. You talked about how I thought your story was interesting, contrasting with Sarah's because Sarah had a very specific thing. And you aren't that way. You just said you wanted flexibility and options. And one of those options was to go back to work. And it's kind of interesting thing because even if you don't know what you want to do with your financial independence, you should still try for it. You don't have to have any specific grand goal in mind. It's great if you do. It's great if you figure that out and you think you're not, you know what you're going to go to, but you shouldn't use not knowing what to do as an excuse not to save and not to pursue financial exactly. independence. I think I think it is. I think that I think it boils down to your options, right? Like, well, and it, so here's a great thing. I, I'll never forget this. This is March of 2020, I think, and my friend, it's all a blur. huh? It's all a blur. Well, no, but when I, I think you know what I'm talking about, a friend of mine was like. When all the you – know, everybody knows – everybody that we talk to knows what happened in March 2020. Right? They have the 10 and 15% drops every day and all this stuff. And the market cut itself in a third or whatever. And um, and I and I get this text from my friend. He goes, hey, how are your fire friends liking all this market stuff now? And uh, <laughs> And my response was – I bet they're liking it a lot better than the people that had no savings. <laughs> you know, like I, I feel like the people that have seven figure portfolios that got cut down by a third are doing a lot better than the people that have no savings. I don't know what, and I, I didn't get a response from yeah. <laughs> that same guy tweeted me, Ray. I got that same guy. How <laughs> you like it? Fire now. <laughs> it's pretty great. asshole. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, but like, it was just really funny. Cause it's like, like, what are you trying to prove? These people have like, you know, like they're set up. They still have more than you have saved, even at a third less. So like, I don't get, what are you trying to, I don't, I, it just didn't make any sense to me. And maybe I drank the Kool-Aid too much. I don't know. No, I mean, I think we all have at this point, except it's not Kool-Aid. It's uh, this Elevation IPA. It's not sponsored. It's just a good beer. Is there another business idea for you, Ray? Has anyone ever done a Kool-Aid beer collaboration? Wiley Roots. Oh, you're, they, they've had, I know they do crazy stuff. They did they that have, purple slushy stuff. Remember that? Oh, yeah, you're right. Okay, so my idea has been taken just like Jet, Jet, what was your name? Jet, Jet Laggard. Jet Laggard. Jet Laggard. Okay. yeah. Damn it, all the good ideas are gone. <laughs> Gotta jump on them. All right, so you're back at work. Things are Yeah, I'm fun. back at work. Sarah's still running her company. That's kind of where we're at now um, for the time being until the next situation or opportunity presents itself. And sure. we don't quite know what that'll be quite yet, um, but we're open to it. And, okay. and I will say, so one of the things about going back to work, so and I think a lot of people have this question is, um, oh, so I'm going to take a year off and then I'm going to go back to work. It's hard. I'll tell you that. It is really hard. I mean, it, it, I know for a fact I can sit around and, like because I've done it, right? Like I, I tasted freedom. Like I, I can do <laughs> Like we could make it happen, right? And so it, it's really hard to like get up on Monday morning and go back. It's get. I mean, even 18 months later, there are days I'm just like, I don't want to do this. I really don't want to do this. Um, but it, it's nice to have a challenge and stuff like that. And, and like I said, like 
playing for the Yankees is, is pretty interesting. Um, you know, now I have that gold star on my resume and all that kind of fun stuff. But yeah, it's it's hard. It's really hard. And like that's why I made the promise to her is we're going to do this for a year. And you're going to listen to me whine and bitch for a year because I'm going to hate it. And I knew it walking into it. Um, so yeah, so anybody that's thinking about doing that, it's a lot harder than you think. It's, and I think the hardest part is like knowing that a lot of my friends are just kind of like doing what they want to do. Taking a nap? Yeah, taking a nap. <laughs> <laughs> Not right. Quite yeah, like you know, like and so that um it, it, that's hard. It it really is hard, right? It's it's like well, it's like being a junior in high school when your friends just graduated. Right? Like it sucks. Sarah, how often does he whine and bitch? Has he fulfilled that part of the bargain? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I'd say it, it just depends. Like there are good days and there are good weeks and there are bad days and there are bad months. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, that's fair. Yeah. And I've, I got laid off in 2015 and yeah, I couldn't imagine at this point. I mean, I do, I do some stuff and I, I keep busy enough. But yeah, I couldn't imagine. I don't think I'd be a very good employee anymore. Wasn't great before, but now I think I would probably just laugh at a lot of the. I will say it does give you a little bit of power in that I'm very flippant. I mean, I'm respectful, but like I make it a point that you get 40 hours of my week, period. I didn't install the email on my phone. I didn't install the messenger on my phone. That's it. And if you don't like it, that's fine. You know, like, but this is what you signed. This is what I signed up for. And I made it abundantly clear and I'm not going to give in on that. And so, you know, like, and now everybody wants to go back to the office and like, nah, I don't want to go back to the office, you know, like, and, and so, and I may, I just, I don't want to go back to the office, you know, like, <laughs> and I just make it abundantly clear because everybody else kind of like, gets in line and goes along with it and i'm not them you know i'm just fighting it and doing what i can sure so sarah i haven't asked you this and feel free to pass on the the question but can you talk about your business a little bit and like where you see it going or any goals you may have another really good question and i think at least right now, like I just hired a, another employee. So I have two employees and I mean, I had my first employee for four years before I really even fathomed the idea of bringing on somebody else. And the interesting part about it is that my job was in person before COVID, like everything that I did had to be in person, treating the patients, working with the families, all of that. Like it, I had to be in person. And then like the county shut down and they're like, teletherapy, go ahead and go do it. And that was never anything on the radar. And so when Ray got the opportunity to take this job, it actually uh, allowed us to move. And up until that point, I don't think I would have even considered it because I had to be there for my business. But now with, with teletherapy and everything kind of moving remote, it just kind of opened up this perspective of like, sure, why not? Like we can at least try it. And if it doesn't work, then I go back to being more in person with my company. And then that also being said with our six month sabbatical, 
it that was a trial run to running my company without having to be boots on the ground, without even knowing that this pandemic was going to hit and everything was going to go remote anyway. And so that happened. And I'm like, my company can continue without me being in the city, without me being in the state, without me being in the country. And then the pandemic hit and it was like, we, we were ready to kind of tackle some of these challenges of going more remote. So I think to, to answer kind of the, the future goals, I, like I said in the beginning, I love what I do. And what I do within the world of occupational therapy is it, it, there's kind of a, a, a small group of us that work in early intervention, working with kiddos from birth to three years of age. And it, it really is something that is so special to me that for the time being, like, I'm going to continue running my company. Maybe I'll continue to expand. I'm not really sure. But like, it's, it's giving me, it's a part of my lifestyle that is important. And I think it kind of gives me something to wake up to every day. And yeah, that doesn't really answer your question, but that's kind of, that's where I'm at at the moment. It's, it's an impossible question, sort of. So I understand. Do you have any follow-ups, uh, Carl? I don't think so. Um, I had one, but it has left my mind. Um, yeah, maybe it'll come back to me. Sorry, Doug. <laughs> it's okay. All right. Yeah, I, I was going to say, yeah, it's tough Like to just, you know, in, in three to five years, where do you want to be? Uh, I don't know. 10 yeah. years i take i wouldn't be able to take naps that, that's one thing i've <laughs> yeah. identified well that yeah 10 I years from now i definitely would not be able to take yeah. naps we all should be able to take naps don't they have them at some of the fancier companies they have like napping rooms or something i think that was a wasn't that a zappos thing they had sleep pods i think i don't know yeah it was I google I know, I know google had them i saw it they had this like big dome you'd sleep on and your legs would stick out the oh, bottom really? or something yeah. Yeah, it looked kind of creepy and weird i don't i think they're trying to like Put waves into your brain while you're in that pod. Like, you love Google. Yeah. You love Google. No, I love Google. It's great. I spent some time in one of the pods, though. So maybe yeah. they got to me, too. Yeah, they're listening right now. So I love them, too. They're great. <laughs> I think this just goes back to, if I can say one last thing, like what Ray mentioned kind of in the beginning of having opportunities. And when when you pull your head out of like being in the weeds and, and working yourself to the bones, you start to notice other opportunities that come your way. And so right at this moment, I might not know what it's going to look like in three, five, 10 years, but we've set ourselves up that if a really cool opportunity arises, we can take it. And I think that's what happened with Ray. Like he got this, this job offer and we're sitting there like, well, it's going to move us to a different state. It's, it's going to change our lifestyle, but this is what you want to do. We can do it. Awesome. Yeah, I think that's all. Ed, your life completely changed because you now have a third member. If anyone's watching it on YouTube, they can uh, see it in real life, see yep. her in real life. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yep. Cool. Yeah, so I think we're we're wrapping it down, and we didn't arrive at a point where we can have sort of a grand conclusion, but I'll let each of you, you know, talk a little bit more. So, Ray, do you have any parting thoughts? Maybe people who are potentially in your similar shoes from say, you know, five, eight years ago, something like that. And they're dipping their toe. They're not really sure any tips for them or thoughts. I'll just say, um, think about 
think about the flexibility. I, I, I mean, I know so many people, I think that's the most important part. And that, you know, her standing over there is, is the perfect example is like life changes. Right. And so, um, we have the options, we have the flexibility. I think that's the important part because you don't know what the future brings. And so you want to set yourself up so that you have the option to take advantage of some opportunity that comes available. Or if you're, you know, I think they say your, your food tastes change every seven years, right? Like, so you don't know what you're going to like next. So like, I don't know what I'm going to want to do in five or 10 years from now. Who knows? Who knows what opportunities Sarah gets offered? Who knows what opportunities I get offered or, or, you know, or or the little one there. Um, I I don't know, but we're in an we're in a situation now where we can take advantage of it. And I think that is a, is, is a way more valuable than a lot of people give it credit. Well said. I think for me, it, it's been interesting being a part of the, the fire community where I feel like a majority of the people hate their job, despise their job. I'm looking at one in particular that that's what ended, ended up him getting going down the rabbit hole because he was looking, I hate my job, how can I retire as early as possible? And I would like to just say that you can love your job and still be a part of this community and still want to be smart financially and still want to set yourself up to have options. You could work the rest of your life if you wanted to, but just because you love your job now, and I know Mindy says this all the time, doesn't mean you're always going to love your job. So it's kind of twofold. Like you can do this if you love your job, but set yourself up because if something changes and you end up not loving your job in the end run, you can do something about it. Awesome. Where can people find you? Uh, you can find us at wafflesonwednesday.com. All one word. Don't Google waffles. You'll end up with all sorts of recipes. And in fact, if you Google waffles on Wednesday, you end up with like all sorts of charity fundraisers and stuff for fire departments. And all. so we're not, we're not very good at SEO. Um, <laughs> but that being said, you can go there. I Unfortunately, I think when we went on our trip, our blog kind of went on a trip too. <laughs> so, we left it at one of the yeah, we we left it behind, but uh, it's still there. There's actually some articles about 401ks and stuff on there that are pretty good, and maybe this will kick us in the butt and light a fire under our ass to go post something again. But we are still fairly active on Twitter, so you can find us. I think it's Waffles on Wed on Twitter. You'll see us bantering about and doing whatever on Twitter. Um, that's that's probably the easiest way to find us. I don't know. That's mm-hmm. it, right? Yeah, I mean we're on Instagram, but we're not. Yeah, it's pictures active. of waffles and beer. Yeah, I think beer. is pretty much yeah. it. I mostly yeah. post beer on Instagram. Yeah. 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 All right. Well, this has been wonderful. Thank you very much. Yeah. Thank you both. Yeah, it's fun, guys. Thanks. This was awesome.